0: Hello and welcome to Dancers, the only YouTube show with the same video quality as the VHS of your birthday from nineteen ninety six. My name is Dan Donahue. If you have any questions for me, please put them in the comment section below and subscribe to the podcast, and I will try to answer them. I've been having so much fun with the questions. They have ranged from incredibly beautiful, articulate questions about the human experience, and uh, stuff like how how big's your meat hog. So really getting a range of what people are capable of in their inner worlds It's really great. Um, I woke up this morning and I went downstairs and I went to my car and there was a flyer for a person who is running for local office in Los Angeles, which by the way, in Los Angeles, local office means that you're overseeing like 12 million people. So it's not really your like mom and pop mayor running for office. You know what I mean? It's it's much bigger than that, but this person put flyers in the windshield of every car in the lot at my apartment complex. And if you want to make sure I do not vote for you, that's what you do. If you want to assure that you get 12 cars in the lot 12 less votes, put a flyer in the windshield. I mean who's coming downstairs and they see a flyer in the the little windshield wiper of their car and they look at that and they go, this is someone I'm going to look into. What a beautiful gesture, having to throw a thing away. Wonderful. No one's doing that. Everyone in there hates that candidate. Now, I'm not even going to give their name because I don't know if their platform is positive. And if I gave their name, I feel like this would be like, a smear ad for free against them. And I will only smear a politician for like $150 and up, by the way. So I look at this and I think this is a perfect tactic to attack a candidate. Get flyers for them and put them in the windshield of people's cars. It doesn't have to, I'm not saying an attack flyer. No. No. A flyer that states their purpose and their positive attributes and put them in the windshield of every car in a neighborhood, that whole neighborhood's swinging the other way. That's the most annoying campaign tactic I've ever seen. Get a person to skywrite for you. That's less annoying. Which, by the way, there's been a lot of skywriting in Los Angeles, too. Like, crypto companies have gone this easy way to sky where it's not like a plane doing loops they just sort of like put out a puff of cloud and it's like very very annoying incredibly annoying i don't want to be walking down a street one day and i look up at the blue sky and it's like get dogecoin now that's not what i want out of my morning but that's less annoying than putting a flyer in a windshield so if you want someone to lose office just do that. It doesn't matter what their policies are. The candidate that they just put in my windshield, she could be against clubbing baby seals, and that's her main platform. Her main platform is I would like to stop people from clubbing baby seals, which by the way is a platform I agree with, okay? I'm not trying to I'm not trying to be problematic here. But if you put a flyer in my windshield, I'm gonna start thinking, well, what did those seals do? Have they lived a pure life, huh? Or are they are they just like us, flawed? That's what I'm thinking when you put a flyer in my windshield. So that's kinda of something I've been thinking about lately. I've been trying to meditate more. You can't tell from what I just said there, but I have. I've been getting back into meditating. I've had a very uh, on-again, off-again relationship with it. My father was a yoga teacher, so I've been meditating kinda of my whole life. Um, and I used to work at a meditation center in Los Angeles. A meditation center is a place where people come in, and you're working the front desk, and they ruin meditating for you. That's basically how that job went for me, because I was really gung-ho, I was excited. I'm working at a place where people are learning how to meditate. It's a calm environment. But I forgot that this is a major city, and every major city has uh, women who drive Range Rovers who will come into your business. And they, they have this laser vision that seeks out anyone making minimum wage and just gives them hell. And it doesn't matter that you're in a meditation center. It doesn't matter that they came there for the express purpose of being calm. They're gonna lay into you if the smallest thing is wrong. Or even worse, this is something we had to do. If someone showed up even five minutes late, we had to tell them they couldn't come to the class. If you tell a woman who drives a white Range Rover she can't do something, you basically declared war on a sovereign nation. They would come at you with, with the venom of a person who is trying to defend their homeland. They would go... You have no idea who my husband is. Someone literally said that to me. And I had to look at them and consider whether or not I was on like a prank show. Because that's a real, you only hear it in movies phrase. Do you know what my husband does? And it's like, no, but I know what his wife does. And it's not find Jesus. Because that's what you should be doing, ma'am. That's also a really fun move if you're ever at a meditation center. uh, If you ever find yourself working at one. Uh, tell people that they should find Jesus. People would ask me what my favorite uh, meditation class is, and I would just go, "Oh, no, I I believe in our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ." But thank you for asking. I don't I don't do this kind of Satan worship stuff that you all are into. But hey, do whatever do whatever you want. I'm non judgmental because of you know my whole Christ thing. So these people would come in and just scream at you for not being able to meditate and you just had to sit there and take it and it was one of the weirdest experiences of my life because i had to get yelled at with like gongs and chimes and like sound bowls playing in the background so just just imagine like this beautiful soundscape is going and this woman who just did medically prescribed cocaine is telling you that she's going to ruin your life because she couldn't get into a reiki class. And it really did make me realize if you love something, like if you're really passionate about it, one of the ways that you can ruin it is make trying to make money from it. Like I never people had told that to me and I never really understood what they meant, but then when I started working that job I was like, "Oh yeah. This is this is something I should have just kept doing as a hobby, but I've gotten back into meditating." And it's nice. I recommend it to people. It's, uh, it's not a replacement for medication if you're on it, which I'm assuming most people who are watching this are. But it can, it can help you. It can give a little boost to the, uh, to the Klonopin that you're taking. <laughs> if I ran a meditation center, that would be my selling point. It is enhance your Klonopin. Meditate. We have some questions I'm excited to answer. Um, The first question is a two part or I'm going to answer it in two parts. The first one is, how did you discover that you wanted to become a comedian? How you explored other types of creative work before comedy? There's going to be typos. I have typos too. Don't judge this person. Your bio also says writer. Do you write other things you can share? So that's a three part question in the first part of this question. And I'm going to ask that we maybe condense a little bit, but I will answer this. I discovered I wanted to become a comedian uh, in the same way most comedians do in the darkest point of my life. I was running track in college. People don't know that. I was a college D1 track runner. And when I say that, people are like, oh, you must have been fast. I would have been fast if for some reason after high school I didn't lose all of my ability all at once. I had this really inexplicable drop in performance after high school where I just, I was running sub 50, 400 meter dashes consistently and I was doing great. And then it just, snap, went away. It was really confusing to me and it caused, I mean, I was already kind of depressed, but that just sent me into just spiraling depression because I was running D1 track, but I just wasn't at the same level as the people I was running with at all. And that sort of alienated me. And I took a leave of absence for like two weeks from the track team just to kind of sort everything out and I realized I didn't want to do it anymore. I traveled abroad to Sweden and uh I worked at a nightclub there and I got paid under the table and that kind of cleared my head out. And when I came back to the United States, the first thing I did was do a comedy open mic and that from there on I was just doing it every single night. Um uh, I was always like a writer. I always liked writing. But then when you write, no one's going to read your short story. Here's the thing. Unless you already have juice and people are interested in what you're doing, no one's going to read your short story. No one wants to read your short story. No one wants to read your poetry. But with comedy, you can subject people to your art. People are sitting there and you get to ambush them with what you've written. And that's a dream because they're not allowed to punch you in the face. So think about that. How uh, have you explored other types of creative work before comedy? I already answered that. Your bio also says writer. Do you write things uh, you can share? I don't write things I can share other than like the sketches and stuff. Uh, I write like screenplays and I've written TV stuff. And what that does is it gets you into meetings with people who say, this is the best thing I've ever read. We're not interested. Every meeting, every writing meeting in LA, they say, this is groundbreaking this is the most incredible thing we've ever written if we made this right now it would make 200 billion dollars we're gonna pass so that's how that goes and the second question is how do you feel when you perform live do you still get stage fright uh do you have a preference between in-person performance and recorded ones online easy answer definitely in-person performance uh I do get stage fright still. I'm not at a level of complete mastery with comedy. I've only been doing it for six years, which means any 10-year comic will be like, you don't even, you haven't even done stand-up yet, which is really funny because a lot of them are bad. But I love live performance. It's not really stage fright anymore. If I look out into an audience and people are particularly drunk and surly, I get nervous That's not really stage fright, that's more fear for my own bodily safety after the show. Because if you say something that a drunk person doesn't like, they'll hit you. Uh, I don't know, I think that you guys know that. I think that's one of the rules of comedy. If I'm going rules of comedy, number one is not uh, speak from your heart. Number one is remember a drunk person will hit you. They love doing it. That's rule number one of comedy. Rule number two, speak your truth. Rule number one, a drunk man in a parking lot in Costa Mesa, California, will take a swing. And he's got nothing to lose. Uh, So I hope that answers your question. Question number two, hey Dan, love your comedy. Hey, I love you. Uh, But what's it like being a smaller internet comedian, especially in such a big city like LA? It's not bad. I know what you're saying because in LA you're competing for stage time with big acts, like really famous people, which I am obviously not. But having an internet following gets you in the door and then you just have to do good at stand up. That's kind of what it is. I have very often been brought to shows where people think I am bad because they've only seen my TikTok and they assume that I just do that. They think I I only do kitchen joke videos and I just got out of my kitchen. It's my first time out of my kitchen and I'm trying stand-up comedy for the first time. So it, I love those situations because I've been doing comedy for like six years, but very consistently. And I'm very proficient at it. And when I get up on stage and I do well, it feels nice because people can sometimes expect that you're you're like Jojo Siwa trying stand-up for the first time. Which, by the way, would probably be great. She would probably be better than me. She's very confident and comfortable in her own skin, which I, I am not. Don't let the shirt fool you. But... Yeah, it's not bad and it's almost kind of good because I get the same amount of stage time as a lot of bigger names, but not as many people know me. And then when they do know me, all they do is like throw silverware at me. So it's a win-win. The third and final question. In your videos, you mentioned having a ton of jobs. How many jobs have you had and which is your favorite? Um, I have had 12 jobs. Total, uh, which is a lot, and I'll name off some of my favorites. I'm going to lose some here, but uh, Gravedigger Waste Management, which is picking up trash by the the Wareham Beaches in Massachusetts. I did uh, janitor work in Wareham also. I did assistant carpentry and assistant demolition for a private renovation of a home. I have done construction supply sales. I've worked at a restaurant. I have worked at a nightclub. I have worked as a physical therapy aide. I have worked in a factory putting together LED walls for concerts. And I've been a personal trainer. I'm missing two jobs there. The question being, what is my favorite? It was working at the graveyard. Working at a graveyard at 14 years old. I was a part of a work program so my mom was always into charity and stuff and one of her friends had this program where they would put troubled youth into jobs and I was like that sounds great am I a troubled youth and my mom said you could be and I said yeah let's make me a trouble so they put me in this group with troubled youth who needed summer jobs so they didn't stab people they said well if we don't put Kevin in a job He's going to take a shiv and attack his neighbor. And that's who I was working next. That became my best friend, is Kevin. And we were working at a graveyard in Wareham. And it was mostly landscaping. It was mostly weed whacking. They would just give me... I'm 14. They would just give me a weed whacker and say, go around the headstones and hit them. And my favorite story from it is, I didn't know how to use a weed whacker, so... I was weed whacking these headstones and I hit a teddy bear that was on one of the headstones by accident with the weed whacker. But I don't know if you know this, when you hit a teddy bear with a weed whacker, it's a massacre. The stuffing comes out, it flies everywhere, the teddy bear falls, there's, it's debris, it's pandemonium and the wind is high so all the stuffing is going and I go, I have to tell someone about this. So I go to my boss and I'm like, "Hey, I just did, uh, I just did some accidental desecration on that grave. I'm so sorry. What, what do we do? Do we call the family? Like, what happens?" And he looks at it and he goes, "They'll think ghosts did it." And I was like, "This is great. Public works is awesome. If you work for like the town of blank, you're the coolest guy ever. Cause you'll do your job, but just barely." So when he was presented with the idea that he would have to do any more than his job, he was like, you know what? People believe in stuff. They're going to think it's ghosts. We're going to let this one slide, Danny. And that was my favorite job ever. I dug a grave by hand because there were these cemetery plots that were old, right? They didn't make them so equipment could get through. So... They're really tight together, so you couldn't get a backhoe into it it's just too tight. The headstone's just too tight. you would have to run over headstone, so you would have to go there and dig it by hand and me and my friend Noah Martinez had to dig a grave by hand, and it was drizzly, and we were both looking at each other as we we're doing it, like this is the coolest story ever. like we're living such a sick. We are digging a grave by hand and we're goofing around we're throwing dirt clods at each other the family's watching us they're not pleased but you know what we were young and wild and working at a graveyard and that's all you can ask for as a 14 year old boy i had such a better life than kids who were like going to the beach and dealing pot like that that ruled that was the best time of my life all right that is the end uh Again, if you've watched the end of the video, thank you. Please subscribe and leave a comment. Uh, I would love to shout you out. We actually have a shout out. Jessica Ferguson uh, has subscribed. She subscribed to the YouTube and commented, so she gets a shout out. Jessica Ferguson, just know you're loved and you don't have to worry about the taxes that you owe. I know that you're in big with a lot of people who want a lot of money. And just know you can take a break from time to time. They're not going to attack you tonight. They will tomorrow night, but live today. So thank you guys for listening. Have a great one.